0: Welcome back to The Pregnantish Podcast, where I interview newsmakers and thought leaders about infertility and show how many people are impacted by this disease, many that you would not expect. Today's episode is presented by Family Source Consultants, a Chicago-based agency that matches and facilitates gestational surrogacy and egg donation arrangements in the U.S. and internationally. Family Source is pleased to assist people of all backgrounds and is proud to be celebrating almost 17 years as a leading authority in third party reproduction services. For more, visit FamilySourceConsultants.com. Former Miss Michigan and Michigan State football player Jacqueline and John Mish are perhaps best known for their time together on CBS Survivor, where Jacqueline won first runner up and where the couple had to navigate incredible challenges together on the island. Another challenge they knew they'd need to overcome together after they married was starting a family, as Jacqueline was born with MRKH, a condition in which Jacqueline doesn't have a uterus. They knew as a result she would be unable to carry a pregnancy. What they didn't expect was all the twists and turns they'd experienced on the way to parenthood, including a devastating 20-week stillbirth with a gestational surrogate who was carrying their baby. Though they had experienced challenges together, surviving this chapter was dark.
1: I was forced to move out a little bit because it was in my residency and I had to go to school like a week after it happened, like I had to. And so Jacqueline was like alone at home going through this at that point, like two weeks maybe later, but however long. So every day it was like, we need to try to take another step today. Like, what are you going to do? Because I have to get out of the house. What are you going to do to get out of the house? Okay. You went for a walk today. Oh, you sat on the back porch. That's awesome.
0: Through faith, hope, and the opportunity to try again, John and Jacqueline are now parents to an adorable one-year-old son named Logan. This episode is about life, love, resilience, and being a survivor. Welcome, John and Jacqueline, to The Pregnance Podcast. You know, Jacqueline, you first came on, are you getting emotional hearing your story back? Why
2: are you crying? It's just like when you read it like that, it's just the flood of emotions of hearing it. Like, what? We went through a little you know? And you did.
0: And it's amazing to think that when we met, we met on Instagram, I'm pregnant a sh- years ago when you were navigating this process. And then I was so excited to see that you guys were expecting and then so devastating when you went dark on Instagram. Can you tell us what happened?
2: I was so transparent with everything just because I feel like I find so much connection in community and sharing these experiences. And when we lost our daughter, you we might get a crap So I just left the earth for like three months. Um, But the community is really what helped hold me together. And like you said earlier, this community searches those hashtags and that was my lifeline, like late term stillbirth. And I would search that and find other people who also experience that. So thank you for this community. Oh my gosh,
0: Jacqueline, my heart broke. You were going to be a podcast guest and we were going to talk about this. And then I remember just, like there were no words that I could possibly say, but just to know that We were here for you and wanted you to know that that's all we could do, right? I don't want to overlook John here because I think partners are so overlooked during these hard chapters. John, can you share the experience from your point of view and how you supported each other and even your own mental health, your own process?
1: Yeah, I think Jacqueline and I, when we were going through the time, we kind of knew a, a lot of people were kind of just saying like, you know, couples that go through something like this, like it's either something where you really lean on each other and your relationship grows immensely because of it, or your relationship just falls apart. And I think that Jacqueline and I really, I mean, every moment that we like were alive for those first few months, weeks, whatever, like you can't think about anything else. Just everything is just a cloud and it feels like you're floating through everything and everything is just so painful. And I was talking to a pastor at the time and we were meeting with him together and he mentioned something to us that, you know, guys in these circumstances, typically they're ready to move a little bit sooner. They're feeling it just as much, but they... Are the person who's supposed to pick things up a little bit you know and move things forward and in our relationship yeah that was kind of the way that i after a few weeks i was like we need to pick up and move on and i think that when i needed to be able to lean on her she was my rock and when she needed to lean on me i was her rock and our relationship today would not be what it is without going through that and i think that kind of alluded to it earlier that infertility is not something that you would wish on anybody but There are so many blessings that we have because we went through those circumstances and the relationship we have today would not be what it is without it. But I do
2: remember thinking, how is he moving on so quickly? Like, what's wrong?
1: Like, I was
2: mad. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember you just saying, like, let's just, like, go for a walk. Like, just get on the freaking Peloton. And he, like, stood with me next to the Peloton. I was like, just move. Like, you just got to do it. And I'm like, and I felt so much better. Wow. I mean,
0: and you guys had weathered, not just on Survivor, of course, but you had weathered the challenge of Jacqueline, your diagnosis with MRKH. For those who don't
2: know, what is that? When were you diagnosed? And when did you share that with John? So it's Meyer-Rukatinsky-Kusterhauser syndrome. It's four German men that discovered this syndrome, and it's named after themselves. So it's a congenital condition present at birth where one in 5,000 women are affected by this around the world. And you're born without your uterus, your cervix, and half of your vaginal canal. So like the first part of this is, you know, you never have a period. So I was 16 and, you know, the doctor was like, oh, she's just really thinning. It's just genetics. That's just what she's like. She doesn't have a period. And it took four different gynecologists to finally diagnose me with MRKH because they did, you know, a pap smear and they couldn't go very far because I had an underdeveloped vagina. So the first line of the treatment is, do you want to create a vagina in their surgery or their dilation?" So that's kind of the first half of your whole life being shook to the core at 16. And you're like, am I a woman? Like, I am genetically, but things just didn't develop properly. So then the next half comes along and you're starting to date. And I was just like, how will anyone love me? Like, I could have sex because I dilated but then how do you have children? And we knew I had ovaries because I had functioning hormones. my hormones were normal. So we thought maybe we could do IVF one day. But I told him after a month of dating, I broke down, I was drunk and I
1: was like, you're not with me. You can't love she just kept on saying we were in the kitchen at her friend's house.
2: Because you would be the the best dad. Like, that's the first thing I knew about you. I was like, you're so childlike and fun and you'd be such a good dad. And I like,
1: it's It's funny because like you're the best mom ever. You're the biggest child (laughs) ever. And yeah, totally. And it's like, it's so funny. But when we were like dating and even like, you know, we're married, we didn't have kids before we had Logan, all this. She'd always just be like, Oh, like, you know, you're the best dad. I just, I don't even know how I'm going to interact with kids. Like, I can't even see myself with kids. I haven't let myself interact with kids because I never thought I'd have them.
2: Yeah. I blocked everything. And then, baby shower, like, I would just, nothing.
1: And then we'd go to my cousin's house, and she's got three little boys, and Jacqueline would be like, playing basketball, like wrestling with the kids and they'd just be playing with her. And I'd be like, you're going to be an incredible mom. Like what the? And, you know, it's just wild. It will happen. So like, I didn't want to let my mind even go there. Yeah. But yeah. So what she told me, like it was a month into us dating. Yep. And I remember <laughs> I was like, there's more than one way to have kids. That was when my first response. She was like, I can't have children. I was like, what do you mean you can't have children? Like, everybody can have children. It just depends how you have them. She's like, no, I don't have a uterus. It's like, okay, well, there's adoption. There's IVF. There's, like, all these different things you can do. You're a good one.
2: I feel like and- the syndrome weeds out the bad guys, too. Like, I had both, yeah.
1: too. But she wouldn't let me move on from that. You said, no, you can't just be okay with this. You have to go think about this. Go talk to your mom. <laughs> this is like game. So why don't you are You really? I don't know, talk to my mama. Well, you know, what do you think? I think it's okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> but you did so much for the MRKH community. Now that Jacqueline and I, well, not just me, you and Pregnantish have been connected for a few years. We keep hearing, "Oh my gosh, Jacqueline, I have MRKH." She was such a role model, and so you've affected so many people with Miss Michigan. Tell us about that. Did you bring MRKH into
2: that? I was my first pageant ever. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And so I I was just like, hi, this is me. I'm doing this pageant. And then I won. And then a month later, I'm like, should I talk about MRPH? Like my extended family didn't even know about it. Like n- nobody knew. It was like the secret I kept to myself. And then so I came out with it on an ABC Channel 7 Detroit interview and they came to my house, talked to my parents. And it was just like traumatizing seeing the headline Miss Michigan born without a vagina and uterus. I was sitting, I worked in the ad agency at the time and I just sat there and I crumbled and I was like, what did I do, John? What did I do? What did I do? And he's like, it's fine. It's fine. And I partnered with Beautiful UMRKH Foundation, who at the time was only in their infancy. They were three months old. And then I came along and was like, hey, I'm Miss Michigan. Let's like, (laughs) partner, what do we do? And yeah, so ever since then, it's just Thousands of other women have just come forward. And I think it's at the Times, too. Like, people are more open to talk about this stuff. And at the time, it was known as the secret syndrome. And in 2011, 2012, there were only four people that would publicly say, I have MRKH. Like, I know all of the people. You would Google it. My mom was like, here, there's like a Yahoo chat group, you know, in 2008. And it was just research articles in medical journals. There wasn't any, like, human face to this situation. And there's a of those. There's like over a hundred thousand people in the U.S. that have MRKH. So and I remember it's amazing. I remember you saying, John, encouraged you to talk about that.
0: What happened there?
1: Well, I think kind of two things. I think one, you know, I'm the guy in the situation. I think first off at that time, I didn't even understand the gravity of it. Yeah. So maybe even partially my lack of understanding that gravity was almost a good thing because it allowed me to just kind of be like, you no, know, do it. Like yeah. it's fine. Just tell the world that you know that you have this. It's not a big deal. Like it's fine. We're good. We got this. So it ended up being a good thing, I guess. But also, I just think that she has always been an extremely strong woman, and I saw that from the very start of our relationship. I knew that right away, and so for her to have a platform. And to be asking me like, and to say like, I really want to help people. I think I can help people with this. Like, there's no platform for this. Should I do it? You know, once we actually spoke about it and realized how much she could help people, it was a no brand And then she I, just she carried it so well
2: I don't even
0: that. Yeah, That <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> This is a theme today. Yeah, I love it. Jacqueline's story of being born with MRKH and without a uterus is just one example of the kinds of people who access surrogacy, people born with medical issues or without the proper anatomy required to carry a pregnancy, or in my case, a pregnancy to term. I'm back in the Pregnant Podcast Studio in New York City for this commercial spot and so happy to be joined now by Stacy Swerderski, the founder and CEO of Family Source Consultants, a leading third-party reproduction agency based in Chicago that serves people not just in the U.S., but around the world. Stacy carries the knowledge and personal experience related to third-party reproduction and family building that continues to prove FSC's mission to build families with a compassionate, empathetic, individualized, and heart-based approach, which we here at Pregnanish really appreciate. Stacy herself is a former intended parent, welcoming her son via surrogacy in 2005 after years of challenges. And more recently, Stacy was an egg donor for a couple who welcomed a son and daughter with her help. Stacy, I know you understand this pain point so well, so deeply, both personally and professionally, So thanks so much for being here, supporting this episode and all you do in the world of fertility to support families.
3: Thank you so much for having me. This is an honor to share my story and just to give hope to anybody else who is really looking to build their family. And I think it's
0: so meaningful that you've been touched by this because I think it does bring a different heart-based approach, which sometimes we don't see, sadly, in the industry. I mean, I think it's getting better in some cases, but the fact that you personally were touched by this pain point. Let's go back to the personal. So when were you first impacted by infertility and learning you may need to pursue surrogacy to build a family?
3: Yeah, I'm happy to share my story. You know, I go way back. Luckily, I was able to become a mother with my own childbirths, my own pregnancy. So I'm very blessed with that aspect. But during my third pregnancy, I was pregnant with my son. I was diagnosed with cervical cancer, the cervical cancer cells. So I called him kind of like my miracle son in a way because I don't know if it would have been caught in time. And it was when I went in for early on in my pregnancy and they diagnosed that. So it was kind of a race to what are we going to do here? Are we going to have to deliver early or... Am I going to make it full term? How are we going to do this? And I did end up having my son at 29 weeks, and it was an emergency C-section. It all worked out well. He was healthy. And with my diagnosis, I, what had happened was I ended up having to have a partial hysterectomy. So that's what led me into meeting a gestational surrogate to build our family when we had our fourth child. So Wow, what a process. And it's another example of what brings people to surrogacy.
0: I think I don't have to tell you, Stacy, how misunderstood surrogacy is, but people often who don't understand it think of it as this luxury, like you don't feel like being pregnant. I'm sure there are some of those cases, but not the vast majority, especially that we are touched by it or you're touched by. And the things that bring us to surrogacy are their own incredibly long, painful stories. But what a miracle that your son helped you Find that diagnosis and then you had your fourth through surrogacy. Wow.
3: So after going through that, is that what really brought you into this field? Yep. A hundred percent. So when, and this was back in my goodness, he was born in ninety-seven. And then I had my partial hysterectomy not too about four months later. And fast forward, I was actually remarried and my husband and I wanted to start a family. Add two. Our family, of course, which is his only genetic child, our son that we have now. He's 18. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But we started, goodness, back in about 2001, 2002-ish. And really, you know, just there wasn't a lot of information back then. There really wasn't when I really started researching it. And after three failed cycles, embryo transfers, Three gestational carriers later, finally, our son was born in 2005. And as you know, insurance is not very favorable for those who struggle with infertility, and especially back then. And I know now there's still so much more work that needs to be done. And that's something that I'm really an advocate for as well, is to really help those who are really trying to build their family. And, you know, financially, it's tough. It's tough when you still don't even know, at the end of the day, if you're going to have success with or without insurance. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so now two decades later, here we are. And I'm a really large advocate, obviously. And so that's what really um, brought opened you the door. The Absolutely. So, wow. yeah. Yeah.
0: And can you bring us back to 2005? When you started Family Source Consultants, what was the landscape versus now?
3: Oh my goodness, it was so different. Even, gosh, back then they were doing like three-day embryo transfers, remember that? I don't remember, but my sister (laughs) had that, which she did I have. Yeah, and so just the success rates now are so much better, and it's just been really wonderful to... Just watch the overall, just even the laws in terms of you know surrogacy have really improved right here in New York. You know the law had passed, and so definitely leaps and bounds. I think it's definitely growing. So many more people are talking about it more than what they did way back then. So it's just really exposed now. But still, I think there's a lot of stigma still around you know infertility and third-party reproduction. And and I'm here to you know the rest of my life really just advocate for those.
0: Absolutely. That's wonderful. I was, for many years, advocating for change for surrogacy to become legal. It compensated surrogacy to become legal in New York. And I actually wrote quite a controversial to some piece called Gloria Steinem Prevented Me From Having a Baby in New York. Obviously, I am a fan of all the wonderful work Gloria Steinem did for women's rights. But she didn't maybe now she does, at the time understand surrogacy and was presenting a picture that I felt was really unfair. And what a beautiful relationship we know surrogates and intended parents can have if they are in the right hands, obviously with an agency like your own or with good people involved or screened properly. Tell us, how do you screen potential surrogates? Because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around that as well.
3: There really is. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, I would say about 5% of the surrogates actually who apply end up becoming a surrogate with our program. There are so many different requirements. Um, I mean, you have your typical age. They have to be between a certain age, 21 to 42. The BMI requirements, they have to obviously have had a previous pregnancy, healthy pregnancy, of course. And they have to live in a legally friendly state. They have to have supports surrounded by them. You know, there's quite a few criteria that You know, the surrogates, we have so many lovely women who would love to be a surrogate, but just unfortunately for, you know, a variety of reasons, they don't qualify. You know, and and the intended parents, they just desperately want to be matched, like yesterday, you know, with their surrogate. And they're putting so much, you know, just trust within our agency, within the surrogate, and just really living it myself. I just always want to keep that vision alive. That is such a possibility.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think also... That's another, we, we can have an entire show and it's a pun called misconceptions. That could be the whole show about conceiving with help. But on that note, I think knowing just about 5% get through, then there's so much work you guys are doing behind the scenes to screen. I cannot stress to the audience enough how important it is. We actually had two surrogates drop out on us. If I were to do it again, the agency is so important that you pick and the lawyers and the whole team you have behind you to support you in this beautiful, potentially beautiful next step in your fertility journey. But it won't be beautiful if you don't have that. That's so true. And let's talk about egg donation because that really surprised me and impressed me when you told me we saw each other at ASRM and I was learning about your story and so inspired. What brought you to become an egg donor and when did you do that?
3: So once I really started exploring surrogacy, obviously I heard more about egg donation and and it was something I was not even looking into. And then after we completed our journey through surrogacy, I went through three egg retrievals to create the embryos for our own surrogacy journey. You know, there was just something that really wanted me to give back to somebody else. We had a lovely lady carry for us and help us build our family. And that was really, I, I just felt I wanted to do the same. Now it was a known egg donation, and I met the parents in person before I actually moved forward, and at the time we were local, we're all in the same state, and, you know, we just hit it off. We had a really great connection, great friendship, and, you know, we had success, and now those children are, they're teenagers now. They're a couple years apart, but it's something that it just, it's a really feel good. I, I really wanted to give back and help somebody else, how my husband and I were
0: helped. That's amazing. You know, Jacqueline Mish is our episode. She's like you, because you live in Chicago. She's a Michigan uh, native. (laughs) And MRKH, she was one of the first public people to bring awareness to it, to talk about it. What are some other things that bring people to surrogacy that you've seen?
3: Yeah, so there's a a variety of reasons. You know, their cancer, where, you know, they just cannot obviously carry. Maybe they've had... Full hysterectomies, maybe not, but maybe, you know, they can't withstand the medication. And I want to say, too, is I think the unknowns is probably one of the hardest, just the miscarriages, and they don't know what's happening. Same-sex couples, of course, so there's no fertility issues there, but they know that's um, obviously an option for them as well. And just, you know, unknown medical reasons and cancers and... and you must see everything. I mean, for me, it you, was more unexplained. I um, The unexplained
0: is tough. It's tough. And, you know, it's uh, you, I got to a point where it was good news when the doctor said, move on to surrogacy now. It was hard to embrace for so many reasons at first, but... A relief that I wouldn't, again, have to go through a transfer that could fail or I could lose a pregnancy was a relief in year six when he told me of trying. And I met my daughter, of course, in year eight, and my first cousin delivered her as my surrogate. But it is a beautiful relationship that can happen if you're open to it and you can access it. And I just am so grateful you're in the world helping so many people build families, And now back to the episode with Jacqueline and John Mish on everything Survivor, surrogacy, loss, hope, and resilience. Survivor, okay, you guys were on this well-known reality show together. First of all, before we keep talking about the infertility, what is that like? And what are some of the craziest challenges you guys navigated together?
2: I feel like I'm pretty... Athletic and not eating for that long. I couldn't even like climb or jump or do anything. I'm like, wow, my body's literally like just I lost 30 pounds, had parasites when we got home.
1: It's all real. Your hair was falling out. My hair was
2: falling out for like six months after.
1: It was wild. I think that one of the things that they don't really show the reality of what you go through on the show. They make it very much just the interactions and the drama and all this, which, yeah, okay, it's entertaining to watch. But, yeah, you're very much struggling. And so I think that's another thing that Jacqueline and I had a a chance to go through something that kind of tore you down to absolutely, like, you are starving, literally starving. You are going out and hunting for crab together. She hasn't shaved in a month. (laughs) I smell... We both smell the same. <laughs> really bad. And yeah, no brushing your teeth, no showering. Yeah, it's cool. And we kind of had to also play this chess match of mental games against a group.
2: Scary. I remember thinking, I just want to go home. Like I hate this. <laughs> I hated the drama. I hated not being able to trust people. I hated like the fake connection. Like I just hated it. And he <laughs> one yeah, you won first round around She rocked it. I So no,
0: it's, it's just like I hate this, but I'm so. But I would live <laughs> on a beach, no problem. So when you guys started embarking on the family journey, family building journey, and knowing you had a challenge in front of you, but you had weathered things before,
2: what did that process look like? Where did you even begin? I remember the day we found out I had ovaries and that they were normal. I just remember thinking like, wow, we can do IVF. We have the green light to do IVF. Our whole family's like so excited. And this was like maybe a month or two after we were married in 2015, So we started IVF. We did our first round in Michigan, at IVF of Michigan. And then shortly after that, we went searching for our surrogacy agencies, and we ended up in Chicago, matched with our first surrogate, three transfers, frozen embryos that were all normal, and they all failed. And then the agency wanted another $10,000 to rematch with another surrogate, and we were just like, we can't afford it. Like, this is not going to happen.
1: That actually just moving from survivor without... Having been on Survivor and without actually getting some winnings from that, we would not have been able to do any of that. And something that I think we kind of touched on earlier is that it is as hard as any of this is and going through any part of it is. It's also a big privilege to be able to do any of it because it is unattainable for so many people. Yeah.
2: And it's heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's so sad that a TV show or reality show helped fund your ability. I actually know someone who went on The Price Is Right for that reason, and then sold the car that he won for IVF. This is where we are in America, everybody. So, for couples, what helped you guys together through these immense challenges you navigated? What are some of your learnings? What do you wish you knew?
2: Anything you want to share there? I feel like it was just communication, like beating a dead horse. We were just like I would be like, he'd be done talking about it, like, no, we're gonna keep talking about it. like I'm not mentally there yet to stop talking about anything. And having planned A, B, and C hypotheticals, like, okay, well, if this doesn't work, maybe this could work next.
1: I think understanding that just because your partner needs something that you don't need doesn't make it like strange that they need that. I'm not really saying that very well, but like, you know, if I need something, but you don't need it, like just provide it, it doesn't make you it know, any it doesn't make it any less. Exactly. Exactly. Like you just, you are with your partner, no matter what you provide, what they need in the moments that they need it. And sometimes it's very unexpected. I think that's what something that I really learned throughout this, that the emotions and the phases that you go through are very much not just a linear path. Like you take a step forward and then you take a hundred steps back and you're over it. And you're like, oh, I don't even care about infertility. It's fine, whatever. And then the next day you're broken and you have to be able to take those steps together and to be able to support each other.
2: And that's something I've learned too with being diagnosed with MRKH 18 years ago is that it's a journey throughout your whole life that you have to learn to like live with the ups and downs of it. It's not like now it's fixed out because we have Logan. I just went to a conference about MRKH at University of Michigan, and it was just I was still part of that group. And it doesn't just fix it now that I have Logan, because it's not Logan's job to fix my, you know, fertility journey and my feelings towards
0: that. 100 percent. You said something, John, that I've often given advice in my relationship books, which is if it's important to one person in a partnership, it's important like, full stop. I think it's so amazing that you guys have communicated through this and stayed connected. For men who aren't ready to talk, don't know how to process, as much as we don't like to classify things as very female, very male, obviously that can be fluid sometimes. But it is harder if we're going to generalize for men to deal with these complex emotions, these nuances. So any thoughts there?
1: I would say that I actually was not the best communicator for a long time, even, I mean, I think up until Harper, even Harper is where I really took steps toward communicating, but I used to just kind of shut down a little bit and Jacqueline would like pull things out of me and I would give them reluctantly, you know, and I think that within me, the step that I realized I had to take was just understanding that my emotions would actually be accepted. And I think that maybe is a little bit of a, a stepping stool for some guys to think that, you know, I'm not supposed to be weak. I'm not supposed to be vulnerable. I'm not supposed to like I have to carry the family, you know, and realizing that I think that actually giving that emotion and showing that vulnerability actually is what carried it in some There's A lot of strength time. and yeah. being vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now with Logan, tell us that story. How did you... And I don't think there's a simple answer for this. I know it's very nuanced and complex, but how did you pick yourself up again, hope again, start again after the devastating loss with Harper?
2: Honestly, it was our carrier. So our carrier, our surrogate, it was John's first cousin. And I remember it being in the office and just talking to her like a normal heartbeat appointment and there wasn't. And she said she knew. And I was like blindsided, like this happened? Like, I didn't even know this could happen because, you know, we were pregnant. Everything should be fine now. And I remember she looked at me and she's like, we're not done. We're going to do it again. And I was like, my gosh, I can't even believe how amazing she is. So I think it was, it was also her as well. Like, I feel like God put her in our life to also help carry us through that and, and be a strength.
1: Also, I think that we definitely had to take time to be able to be ready to try that again.
2: It took another year.
1: Yeah, it took a whole other year. And I was forced to move out a little bit because it was in my residency and I had to go to school like a week after it happened. Like I had to. And so Jacqueline was like alone at home going through this at that point, like two weeks maybe later, but however long. So Every day it was like, we need to try to take another step today. Like, what are you going to do? Because I have to get out of the house. Yeah. What are you going to do to get out of the house? Okay. You went for a walk today. Oh, you sat on the back porch. That's awesome. I it like, gets hard. Celebrate. Yeah. So, a creator
2: when you work for online or social media, like you're by yourself a lot.
1: So, that was yeah, it's automatic. Yeah. Isolating. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And so speaking of being online and broadcasting for those of us and so many in the room today, we're at a live pregnancy event, boldly, vulnerably share. And then sometimes and people rely on us to share. But do you have any advice when we should create some self boundaries around that and how to do that and how to communicate
2: that? I feel like you just have to listen to yourself. Like if you're struggling with people and what they're saying and it's just getting like too much just take a step back and give yourself some grace yes you are maybe feeling like it's responsible to talk about things but like you have to put yourself and your mental health first to be okay like you can't pour from an empty cup so you have to make sure you're going to be okay to be that strength for other people
0: when you were on the podcast the first time I remember saying I was going to hold hope for you because you were having a hard time, which I understood. And at that time, you asked me, having been an intended parent with surrogacy, oh, did you feel connected when your baby came? And I was like, Jacqueline, trust me, you're going to feel connected. But tell us about that. What happened when Logan came and everything around that?
2: What an experience! I know. I was. I just couldn't believe it. And I. Re- I watched the video back actually the other day of his birth, and I was asking the nurse, you know, check his heart. Is, is this normal? Like I could hear myself being so nervous even after he was here that something was going to happen, but after that, it was you know, it's amazing. It's just like after all, it was seven years of all of that plus the MKH diagnosis, and then he was finally here, and he's this little perfect being. It was worth it all because if we didn't go through all that, then we wouldn't have that baby, which I feel I found so much, you know, hope into. Yeah,
1: totally. I just I think that when we look back at like the videos of when he was just coming into the world, it's funny to think about the things that we thought were going to be such a big deal. Like one of the things for us was skin to skin. And we really emotionally like we wanted Jacqueline to have the first skin to skin. But then, in the moment when Logan was born, it was just like he's here. Like yeah. it, like I don't care. Like okay, like do you need to set him there on Kelly's belly for a second? It's cool, whatever. You're like he's here. We're happy, yeah. and yeah, and that's so yeah, it. It was just. It's incredible. It's an incredible moment.
2: And I think also like the bonding, I feel that's such a big worry. It was a big worry of mine when you have a carrier, like, am I going to bond with my baby? But it just happened over time. Like you care for this baby day after day, 24 hours, you know, like, and it just happens. And that was another big thing for me was inducing lactation and breastfeeding. And I look back at that and I induced lactation and I did it for six months pumping. He never really latched well, but I was so hard on myself to make that happen, to bond with him. But if we ever did it again, I don't think I'd put so
1: much pressure on myself. There was one thing, I forget who it was recently, there was the woman who had a, Oh yeah, it was Chloe
2: Kardashian okay. that she is having problems bonding with her baby because of surrogacy.
1: Yeah, and I think that I just to reference that for a second, we talked about this a lot about how that's not something that is exclusive to surrogacy and I think that because she has such an incredibly large voice it got so much publicity that surrogacy, oh, you're not going to have bond with your baby. You can have that happen if it's your child, you can give birth to the baby. And some women have apparently, I don't know this, I'm a guy, I don't know, but apparently that can happen. For- and in surrogacy, OK, yeah, maybe it can happen as well. That's not the case for us. I mean, you know, and I think that for somebody. Because
2: yeah. the infant's hippocampus is not fully developed yet, so they have no mm-hmm. memory.
0: You know, I often think with these complicated steps, we have our whole lives to raise these children and not that the year that each of us were pregnant didn't matter, not that when you use a donor that doesn't hold tremendous weight, but you are the one day in and day out parenting that child, however that child comes to you, comes to us. Thank you so much for sharing your inspiring story on the Pregnantish podcast. Thank you so much for having us.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: And thank you for listening to another inspiring episode of Pregnantish, where we always have real talk about fertility and elevate the conversation about how so many families are built today. Until next time.